Hi, and welcome to Recovered, a podcast from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization based in Dallas, Texas, and known by many as Maggie's. My name is Stephanie, and I am a recovered alcoholic on staff at the Magdalene House. Each week, I have the pleasure of conducting a live interview with an alcoholic woman in recovery for the participants who are currently in our Next Step program. Whether you're in recovery yourself, contemplating giving it a try, or just supporting someone who is, we are so glad you're here. Thanks for listening. All right, good morning, Next Step participants and podcast listeners. Uh, for our Next Step Girls On, um, starting in January, um, we are going to remove the podcast recording away from Next Step. So Next Step participants will no longer get to sit on the live recordings, which means y'all will just have to wait for them to come out. But so I'm super glad that you're here today. So you guys get to be a part of this. And I'm super excited for today's guest. Ashley is, oh my gosh, um, I got to spend a week with her away. And um, I won't say how we met or anything. I'll let her say that if she wants to, no pressure. But, and you could just see like her heart and just how big it was and how much she cared for others and like the bond that we made and you know it was just it's so special to me and in this magic place that I went to I was processing the death of my son's father and today is actually that one year anniversary of his death and so I thought how like divine and everything that you are our guest today. I mean, I think it's so amazing. So anyways, Ashley, if you could just um, give us some background information about yourself, where you at, where you're from, um, you know, what your alcoholism was like and what led you to get sober. Sure. All right. How much time do you have? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you can talk as little or as long. So most people do about like 10 to 15 minutes on that. I've had people talk a lot longer and a lot shorter. It doesn't really matter. Whatever you want to do is fine. All right. Thanks so much for having me today. I'm excited to, uh, to join the podcast and tell you guys a little bit about my experience. I am an alcoholic and my name is Ashley and, um, I will, uh, by the grace of God, celebrate two years um, sober on December 23rd, and I'm very much looking forward to that. So I am originally from Birmingham, Alabama, and I currently live in Atlanta, um, though it seems like that is not a, a far journey to get to. I have been all over the place to get here. I grew up in Birmingham. I, like a lot of people, I'm sure I didn't grow up in a very uh, supportive or happy home. And, uh, but I did find this one thing that, well, when I was growing up that really kept me centered, kept my focus on a lot of things, but then it, you know, it too, like many things that we obsess over many things that we're addicted to it too led to some issues in my life. So I, uh, was extremely shy. Um, I would never have been able to do this (laughs) in the, in the past, just painfully shy. My mom and I were actually talking about it not too long ago. And a lot of that came from just the, you know, the fear of being at home alone with my parents because they were so angry and it was such a volatile and abusive environment to be in. So I just really started with isolating very, very early in life. 
once I got into like middle school, I uh, came home one day with a, with a paper and um, the, like the school newspaper, or whatever. And they had an ad for the swim team in there. And I had never really asked to do anything like that before. So they were like, well, you know, my mom was like, yeah, we'll, we'll check it out. And that really turned into uh, my thing. Um, I started swimming. I trained all the time back in the day when like <laughs> you could, uh, let me just say there were a lot less helicopter parents and there were a lot less uh, people saying, whoa, 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 that might be too much. So <laughs> I really, I dove into that and that was really my, you know, the, the only thing I had, I wasn't very good in school. Um, home life was pretty gnarly. So um, I really dove into the swimming. That's where I had all my friends. Um, my coach was like the one person, adult figure that I could lean on in my life. And um, I still get choked up talking about that a little bit, but anyway, so swimming was great for me. I actually did really well. I swam in, at nationals. Um, I was offered a whole bunch of scholarships. You know, I, it just went to a place that I never even really imagined it could. From the time I was about, once I got into high school, really things at home were so bad that I didn't really live there. Um, I lived with whoever on my swim team's parents would let me stay at their house. And I felt, you know, later in life, I felt really guilty about that because I felt like I left my sister, my younger sister to that. I do have a younger sister. She's not quite two years younger than me. Sometimes I feel like she is about 20 years more mature than I am. Um, and then sometimes not <laughs> at all. So anyway, uh, you know, I got to I did all this swimming that helped me get some scholarship offers, but right around the time that I was 17, things got exponentially worse, um, at our house and had some pretty traumatic events that happened, um, between the years of 17 and 24, that it was just kind of one thing after another. There was, I got a scholarship and went to the university of Wyoming because it was the only full scholarship I got. And I was very fortunate to get that, but that meant that, you know, my parents didn't really have money to pay for me to go to college anyway. And this meant this was, this was huge for us. So I did not want to go there. Wyoming did not sound like a hospitable place. And when I visited on my recruiting trip, I was like, I, I can't do it. I can't do it. This is too cold, too out there, but, but I did. And um, once I got there, I'll back up a little bit. When I was in high school, uh, I didn't drink. The one time I did think I was going to drink, this is kind of a long story, so I'll shorten it. But um, I, we, I went with a bunch of friends. And for the first time ever, I was kind of invited with some high school friends instead of just my swim team friends um, to go and hang out at this, at the, you know, this place they called the Met. And that's where people go hang out and drink at night. And um, somebody had put a case of beer in my car. And I was like, little Lord Fauntleroy. I mean, I wasn't about to drink because I was an athlete. And But that night I was like, all right, well, I'm going to, I'm going to fit in for one time in my life. I'm going to fit in. And I opened up a beer and some car headlights came around the corner and I freaked out. I think I took one sip. I, I freaked out and threw it and you know, didn't drink it, but uh, ended up having a really horrible wreck that night um, on the way home and uh, put someone, a guy that actually the guy that put the beer in the back of my car that I didn't realize 
And he went out the back window of the car. He was in the hospital for about three months and had to learn how to walk and talk and everything again. And I didn't even know this person before that evening. He was a friend of a friend that, you know, they really, really pushed for me to drive that night. Now I can see why, but that was pretty traumatic. Uh, the aftermath of that was really traumatic. Ashley, can I ask you a question real quick? Sure. Were you sober when you got in that wreck? Yeah. So that was, yeah. I mean, I would definitely consider myself sober. I think I had one sip of it and I tossed it and I was like, I can't, I don't, I don't drink. (laughs) So, um, but the, you know, the traumatic events ensued and, um, that, that was kind of a, a tipping point because that once, um, you know, the, the beer that was in the car, someone picked it up and took it away but I had already spilled my guts to the police. I was like, you know, I told them everything (laughs) and they didn't, I mean, I didn't get in trouble for drinking because they knew that I wasn't drunk or anything, but you know, that, that taboo was there. And that also to everybody in the community, no matter what was said about the drinking, I was painted as this was a, this was a drinking and driving accident. So it was, it was horrible. And my whole family, decided that I had ruined our name and all of these things. So I felt like everything, I felt like I was completely damaged. So uh, by the time I went off to college, I'd already been through quite a bit of things, um, some sexual abuse and uh, some other things. And so I get to college and I'm going out there and I'm like, my goal is to do really well and get a scholarship so I can transfer somewhere cool or warm as the case may be. (laughs) And uh, I got out there and within five seconds of being out there, I I went to a party, tried to act like I knew what what I was doing and tried not to be the nerdy girl that I've always been. And so when they said, hey, we're gonna go to the liquor store, what do you want? I said, you guys, to this day, I can't believe I A, survived and B, how gross. But I said, oh yeah. Um, could you pick me up a bottle of Boone's Farm Strawberry Hill and some vodka? And then I mixed it. Like, I thought that was a thing that you did. And that night, someone told me this because I don't remember it, but it wasn't terribly long after that, that um, I was just standing up like in a group and I just passed out, like passed out on the ground. And that was really the first time um, that was about the first time that I got drunk. And so I had a bad relationship with alcohol really from day one. I didn't realize it at the time. It took me a long time to realize that I truly had a bad relationship with alcohol, but I started blacking out from the very first time and not remembering things and then drinking to excess. There was no way I, 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 once I tasted it, I couldn't start. So a stop. So that, that gene was alive and well in me, even though I didn't grow up with it really in our house. Um, my dad is an undercover drinker, but, um, I didn't grow up with it in my face, but immediately it was not a good scene. And so in college, I had a couple of incidents of sexual assault. Um, again, two of them drinking and one of them not. And that really, you know, I had a very bad view of myself, very poor self-esteem. And I didn't even really realize it at the time, but I would drink to excess 
one, to get over my nervousness, my anxiety about talking to people, meeting people, being in the in crowd. And then I would try to drink and, you know, and try to be one of the boys too, you know, I could hang with all of them. And that was, that's where the escape started and really just continued. So over the next few years, I, I, you know, I lived kind of all over the country. I moved to Idaho for several years, lived in a ski town. I don't know if you guys have ever lived in a ski town, but it is a party all the time, ladies and gentlemen. Um, it's super fun. There's a lot of fun things, amazing things to do out there, but it is a truly part of the fabric of the community to drink and drink at lunch during work to, you know, drink while you're skiing, which that's a bad idea, guys. I drank a few beers, several, not just two, not just three beers and was skiing and got a concussion. Did it stop me? Hell no, it didn't stop me. I wanted to just keep on going because I wanted to be the life of the party. And this was the only way I knew how. So um, I uh, continued on that phase, eventually uh, lost everything that I had built career-wise out there during the downturn. And so um, um, I had started dating this guy and he was, he's a wonderful person at his heart, but he suffers from the disease as well. Um, of addiction and alcoholism. He and I dated for a long time. We did some really fun, awesome things together. And I will always be grateful for that relationship with him because he is a good person, but the things that he were, he was doing even then, even, even with me being a complete blackout drunk, I still realized that these things were not something I I wanted in my life long-term. So after we broke up, I was completely devastated. This was like the only person that had, that had shown me love. So it was really difficult. So I moved back to Alabama and moved back to Alabama, restarted my career, was horribly, horribly depressed um, for a long time. Didn't really want to live. And slowly but surely, I kind of got over that. But at this point, I was finally like a daily drinker. Now I wasn't get up in the morning and drink before work or anything like that. But by the time work ended, I was like itching for a drink and to sit in on my back porch in private where nobody could see me in the dark and chain smoke a thousand cigarettes too. (laughs) And meanwhile, guys, I am also still swimming as an adult. I am running, I'm doing triathlons, I'm doing all these things. And then on the flip side, in the dark, I am drinking gallons of wine and vodka and smoking packs and packs at a time of cigarettes because I wouldn't do it during the day. It had to be at night when nobody could see. So um, that just snowballed and snowballed over the years until um, the end of, of 2018 when I had rebuilt my career. Things were going well from that perspective in my mind and nobody let on to this, but you know, things were going really well in my career. And I didn't think that anybody knew that I had a drinking problem. I didn't go in smelling like booze. At least I didn't think I'm sure I went to the gym in the mornings. And once I started sweating, everybody knew, but nobody ever mentioned anything. So I, you know, felt like I was covering it up really well, but my anxiety um, was getting to a fever point, a fever pitch. And it got so bad. um, I had gotten a new boss and he made life pretty difficult. Um, and I ended up at the end of 2018, kind of having a nervous breakdown. So I 
uh, went on leave for about three months. And instead of getting help during that time and like trying to fix my, well, trying to let anybody in to help fix me, I just drank and I drank all day because I didn't have to go anywhere. I just drank all day. Um, and then I finally went back to work and then they figured out a way to get rid of me for real. Um, I was fortunate enough to land on my feet again, somehow, some way I landed on my feet again. I got two job offers. Um, I took one and moved to Sarasota. I don't know if any of you guys have lived in Florida before, but if you really want to like grow your alcoholism, Florida is a great place to be to do it. I don't blame Florida. I blame myself, but yeah, there's uh, it's endlessly warm. You can, I could ride my bike to the beach. I could drink a thousand drinks on the beach and then try to swerve home without riding my bike into the canal. <laughs> and I also, during that time, my, my isolation, I would go to work with a smile on my face and put on a big show, but, um, I had no relationships really with anybody. I was drunk when I talked to any of my friends or my sister, and I didn't meet anybody there because I just sat at home and drank all the time. That job was insane. And so I was actually offered a job in Atlanta at the same time that I got that one. And they called me back and were like, hey, we'd love for you to, you know, reconsider an offer. And I was like, oh, great. I got to get out of here. This is not going well for me. So um, I did. And I moved up. I moved up to, to Atlanta and got a job with another crazy company. And it was crazy, but it was really, you know, I learned a lot. Um, I'm appreciative of that experience. But within two months of being in Atlanta, things had really gotten to a point where on the weekends, all I did was sit on my back porch and smoke and drink all day. And at night, I, would, I couldn't do anything after work because I had to get home so that I could drink. You know, a couple of things happened. I didn't have one last giant big drunk or major consequences. The only reason I didn't have any consequences is because I got, I can only think that it was, I was lucky. I mean, I drove a few times, but I also tried to plan really hard so that I wouldn't have to get in my car to go anywhere. I had all the things I needed, you know, at my house. So I wouldn't have to go anywhere, but I mean, I would still walk down, bumble myself down the street um, to get to the gas station and buy some more, you know, boxed wine or, or whatever. So it had really gotten bad at that point. And in the middle of December, I ended up really, really ill with what we believe was actually COVID before COVID was supposedly here. And um, I could not get better. I ended up in the hospital for almost a week. And, um, you know, certainly wasn't because I was smoking cigarettes or drinking um, in the dark by myself. Um, <laughs> certainly wasn't that. So um, I had, uh, when I, once I got out of the hospital, I went home, I still had my wristband on my wrist. And I opened up my fridge, and I had a half bottle of wine in there. Now, like any good alcoholic, there's never a half bottle of anything left over at your house, because you drink it till it's gone. Um, but when I say I was on my deathbed, I really was. So that's probably the only reason it was still there. So I drank that went to the store. I was like, you know, I'm going to work from home for a couple of days. So I'll get a couple of bottles of wine because, you know, it'll last me a couple of days. We know that's not true. So I drank both of those. I was hungover as could be. 
it was awful. And that could just continued. Um, you know, I had conversations with people I don't remember. It was, it was just, it was terrible. Um, and then I was like, okay, well, I gotta, I gotta get well, cause I'm not getting well. So I took a, I didn't drink for not quite 48 hours. And I was like, Oh, pat on the back girl, you've got this. And then, um, that night was like a Sunday night. And I went to the movie theater by myself, the one you can drink in and had like five big gulps of wine, you know, like the big gulps from circle K Mm -hmm. spent a bazillion dollars on that. Um, got home and thought, Oh, well, you know, not a big deal. I'm not even drunk. It's great. Um, drank a little bit more. And then the next thing I remembered is my alarm going off to get up to go to work. And I wasn't crazy hungover, but that's the moment where I was like, I can't stop. I cannot stop. And I can't do it by myself. So I went to work that day. I was miserable all day. I was super anxious. I was in a meeting, leading a meeting. And while I was leading that meeting on my, all I knew, I'd only heard about AA. I didn't know really anybody in it. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know what to expect. All I knew is that I needed to find something because it just, it couldn't, I couldn't go on like this. And so I found a meeting at four o'clock that day and um, I left early. I rolled into that parking lot at 3.59 on two wheels, I'm pretty sure, because um, I knew I needed to be somewhere. I was hoping it was there. And I ran inside and there was this guy, Ernest, there. And I must have looked like a sweating, nervous, crying, hot mess. And I was like, this is my first time. What do I need to do? And he was like, you just need to go have a seat over there. And I did. And I listened to the meeting. I raised my hand, said that was my, you know, my first time there. And then I shared at the end of it really quickly. And I just said, my name's Ashley. And apparently between sobs, apparently I'm an alcoholic. (laughs) And that was the day that I got my white chip. That was the day that I started on a path to freedom. I still get so choked up about it. because it really was the turning point in my life. I went back, I stayed for several meetings that night and I went back the next day was December 24th. So it was Christmas Eve. I had that day off. Um, So I went to a a. 7am meeting and I met a transgender woman there that is covered like tattoos from the beginning of her scalp on her face to the tip of her toes and like these crazy earrings. And I mean, she is, she's just such an interesting woman. Um, at the time she came up to me that day and she was like, would you like to get coffee? And I was like, I, yeah, I absolutely would like to get coffee. I need to, I, with anybody, anybody I could talk to about this. And her name's Alexa. So she's awesome. She's my friend to this day. From then on, I just started building relationships. I wasn't ready to do the God thing at all. I was not into that. The church I grew up in was real crazy. So um, you can imagine, I'm sure in rural Alabama. So I wasn't ready to do that. I thought I'll do these steps, but I'm going to skip these God ones. Like that's just not for me. And it's crazy how 
your higher power works because and how this program works because the more I got into it the more I really committed to it the more I realized that I was not in control and that there was somebody that got me to that first meeting and there was somebody that was willing to love me until I could love myself and it wasn't just my higher power it was also these people so here we are almost knock on wood almost two years later and I met Stephanie this summer um, when I, you know, took the opportunity that was given to me to try to heal some of the trauma in my life. Um, some of those past things that happened, some of the, the catalyst for some of the drinking that was not in my mind. That is not the reason why I was an alcoholic. I was an alcoholic because I was an alcoholic from day one, but there were things that I tried to push down and cover up and, um, and hide things about myself, things that happened to me, relationships. And I did that all with alcohol. So, um, I went to, uh, this, you know, great place, uh, to try to heal some of those things and had an excellent roommate that was just so sweet and, and so amazing. And, um, though she's quite a bit younger than me, had so much uh, wisdom in the program. And it was, uh, I just will, I'll never, I'll never forget that. And I will eternally be grateful for, um, being able to form that bond with you and spend that time with you, Stephanie. Oh, me too. Oh my gosh. It's so good to see you. I'm so, uh, so good to see you. Uh, you know, we leave and we think, oh, we're going to talk and stay in touch and all this stuff. And life, unfortunately, life is out there and we get busy. Yeah. So it's just, it's so good to, to be on this call with you. So much was going through my mind when you were talking and, you know, I just, I don't even know where to start. I think one of the things that's really cool is, um, you know, that like on the outside, like our stories look really different. You and I, I remember we had that conversation in our little cabin where, um, like it was very obvious to everyone that I had a problem. Uh, there was no, you know, like holding down a job or anything like that, but like you were very much a closet drinker and to the outer world looked very, very successful. And it was there. Can I say where we went? Is that? Okay? Yeah. Yeah. It was at onsite. So we went to onsite that um, I really started to see all these very high functioning people with like depression and anxiety or alcoholism, but to the outer world looked like they had all their shit together. And, and you were or at least, person. or at least that was my perception of it. I really only had one friend who ever expressed any concern. You know, you never truly know. Like I may have thought that I had everybody fooled, but maybe they just didn't want to bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> so I would, I would kind of like to, to talk about that. Um, like, cause you didn't have a lot of external consequences. Um, it sounds like all of yours were internal. So do you mind just talking about like in like what your internal condition was in active alcoholism and then compare and contrast to what your internal condition is like today. Yeah, sure. Um, I did have a couple of like, I get kicked off the swim team at Wyoming. So I kind of, there were a lot of things that happened in that 17 to 24 age group there that were just like, 
and they all had to do with alcohol. So, uh, yeah, I spent a night in jail, uh, but that all happened later in life. That's why I was like, all right, I got to take this to the house. <laughs> I got to take this inside. Um, and when I would go out with friends, if they could keep me out past dark, that's when Ashley after dark would come out. That was my nickname. Never, never great to be called Ashley after dark um, because I would turn into a crazy person. So I really liked to take it home. So yeah, when I finally came in, it was just a, I was literally imploding. My anxiety was so bad that my hands shook all the time. And of course I was like, well, this, I'm sure this doesn't have anything to do with drinking. But, um, and it, it actually, uh, you know, I did find out that I have a neurological condition that causes me to shake. Um, the drinking or being without the alcohol kind of made it worse. But I spent so much time worrying about what other people thought or saw that I was, I spent every night in tears. I wanted to kill myself. I could barely function. I couldn't have a relationship with really anybody. My friends were they didn't know what was going on with me. And so I just pushed them away because I couldn't deal with it. I pushed my family away. It was just a really lonely place to be and not let anyone in. And now today, one of the, one of the awesome things about moving to Atlanta has been, you know, everybody here, of course, says that, Hey, it's really great here. It's so amazing here. It's so great. This is all I know, but I didn't know anybody in Atlanta. So two months after just being solidly drunk and alone, aside from the people that I worked with, I didn't know anyone. So all, everyone I met was in the program. And I'm sure some of those people were like, oh my God, that girl, like she keeps calling and texting all the time. Like I need a break from her, but I never got that feeling from anybody. I was able to build a network of people and all of my friends now that are here are in the program. Every last one of them. I don't really hang out with anybody here that's not in the program. And that is so awesome and special. I've met so many wonderful ladies with stories similar to mine, stories different than mine. Uh, like Alexa, for instance, you know, she is a dear friend of mine. But over the last two years, you know, I still struggle with anxiety and depression from time to time, but it's not nearly as bad. When I am on top of my program, when I'm going to meetings and I still go to meetings, I still go to a minimum of five meetings a week, if not more. Um, and I don't want that to change because I know that I need it. When, I'm, when I go to less meetings in a week because I've let some other things get ahead of my program, I feel it almost immediately. I get anxious. I start worrying about things that I shouldn't be worrying about. I focus on things I shouldn't be focusing on. I can't see what's right in front of me. I can't see the good things that are right around me. So going to meetings has, um, you know, listening to other people, sharing my story with other people, and then also working with other people in the program as a sponsor, it has kept me for the most part, because I'm certainly not perfect, but uh, for the most part, focused on the important things. And that's helping people not focusing on what I don't have, but focusing on what I do have. That has made all the difference in my relationships with my family, with my sister, with my nieces, that are my daughters, really. 
that's one of the areas I think I've seen the biggest improvement is they've always loved to do things with me. They've always loved to be around me, but I was so, I had a shelf life. I was like a ticking time bomb. Um, I could be, I wanted to go do things and take them to do things and, you know, be the cool aunt. Um, but after a while I would be so aggravated and annoyed and, you know, I was, all I wanted was a drink and a cigarette. So I needed to get out of there. I needed to get them home and I don't have that anymore. So now when I spend time with them, we can go do things for the weekend um, because I'm not jonesing for a drink. They want, they call me more. They want to be around me more. Those are two of the relationships that I have seen probably the most growth in myself personally. If you or someone you know is a woman who wants to sustain and grow in her recovery, check out our three-month non-residential program. Next Step offers community structure and accountability to any alcoholic woman at absolutely no cost. Everything we do in Next Step, from the assignments to the accountability group, is to help alcoholic women not only stay sober, but thrive in her recovery. Because we have both in-person and virtual options, we can help women from all over the world. To call into a phone screen to see if you qualify, call 214-764-0793, extension 500. You know, I, uh, in my, in my job, I'm able to focus more in my job and I'm able to focus on the right things in my job because I'm not worried about if I smell like last night's booze or you know, did I send an email last night? Because a lot of times I would be working at home while drinking at night. So do I have any reparations to make today? So I am a lot more calm in my job. I used to, I used to be so anxious about everything that I did. My job is um, shockingly for someone who is extremely shy at their core. I work in, um, I work in HR and, and talent acquisition. So I speak to people on the phone all day, every day, people I don't know. (laughs) Um, And it is, it's a lot for me internally to kind of keep up with, but going, working in the program and, and working the steps has really helped me let go of a lot of those things and be better at my job. Now I will say, uh, you know, as far as dating goes, um, I did follow the rule, the, you know, don't get a new relationship when you, uh, in your first year, I followed that rule pretty hard. I would say the, the most important relationship that I have worked on repairing is my relationship with myself, my self-esteem. And I get choked up talking about this too. Um, just because I've hated myself for such a long time, you know, going through this program and having my higher power heal me, having the people in the program help heal me. Um, going through the steps, I realized that I am not terrible. I'm not that kid from that car accident. I'm not the perception that those people had of me. I'm not anybody's perception and none of those things matter. It's, it matters what I think about myself and the, and the help that I give and the, the love that I give to others. And that's probably the most important inward change that I've seen is that I'm proud of myself. I'm proud of myself for the work that I do and the person that I'm becoming. 
I don't hate myself anymore. That's so beautiful. I mean, like, honestly, y'all, like, I'm not going to say one of the things that she did whenever we were away at trauma camp together, but like, (laughs) you guys, like, her heart is, it's like, whenever you see like kindness in action is the way that I explain is like seeing how big Ashley's heart is um, and how much she just cares about helping others and I remember we were there and she was getting like gifts for her sponsees I'm like I'm a horrible sponsor I didn't get anything (laughs) (laughs) got things for myself hey Uh, guys I brought you some gifts from trauma camp (laughs) are you stoked (laughs) but they were mean And so we also, I know we talked about drop the rock while we were, while we were there. And so I don't know, um, I'm because I just like, we had just had that. We only have about 15 minutes left and I know mm-hmm. you are at work, so I don't want to take up all your time, but so I'm going to let you talk Do you, would you want to talk about character defects in six and seven first or sponsorship and working with others first? Um, I guess sponsorship and working with others. I was, when I got through the steps um, and my sponsor was like, okay, I want you to start raising your hand. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) I don't know that I'm quite ready for that. She's like, you're ready for it. I'll help you with it. I'll help you through it. Just start raising your hand and see what, see what happens, you know? And she's the kind of, she's a, I love my sponsor. She's wonderful. Um, But she's the kind of person that has like a zillion sponsees. I knew going into this, that if I was, for me, if I was going to do it, do it right. Like I really, in the beginning needed to just have one, but as, uh, as it worked out, I raised my hand one day and, uh, two ladies approached me and I was like, Oh God, two. Okay, let's do this. Um, and so, you know, I stopped raising my hand after that because I was like, okay, I'm, I'm new to this and I've got to balance I've got to balance my program and, and be able to, you know, be a guide through the steps for, for these other people too. And so, um, I am happy to say that they're both doing awesome. Um, and, uh, the way I've kind of approached the steps with them is, you know, to walk them through the way I was walked through, of course, we did the steps through the book. And then um, when we got to step six, we paused in the book. We did drop the rock. We read through that together um, so that we really, because, you know, six and seven are so important and there's just not a lot in the big book about six and seven, but I think it's truly important to, to understand those and to learn how to, that things aren't going to just magically happen. These things aren't going to just magically go away. Um, really focusing on throughout your day, acting as if, and get, and making that part of your practice in your daily life. And then, you know, each day coming Sorry, back and being humble. What acting as if means because there's oh, sure. you don't know what that means. So I use this example with them and this is one of the small things, but I um, struggle with, with rage from time to time and uh, justifiable anger, if you will. So um, I would go running on my lunch breaks a lot of times. And when I'm running, I have this thing about crosswalks. So um, I have the right of way as a pedestrian. Cars do not. And people, I've, I've nearly died 
more times than not um, while running because of the crosswalk situation. People don't stop. They just roll right through it. You know, they don't give you the right away. It's, you know, and for years when somebody would do that, I would turn around with both guns blazing, giving them the bird. I mean, screaming and yelling. I mean, acting like a complete crazy person because I was completely crazy. And so I didn't, and then that would ruin me. That would ruin my attitude, everything for the next hour, the rest of my run, which that's not my time to like, you know, clear this out for the rest of the day. But I would just ruin myself with that by getting angry about it. And so this is, this is where, you know, I would talk to them about how I I started my practice of acting as if. So I would say a little prayer before I would go running about keeping me focused on, keeping me focused on the run and the, and what this is bringing and listening to music and being happy to be outside. And then, you know, I would say, please help me act as if and not act like a crazy person out here. And so uh, to this day, I still am not 100% great at this, but even though I would be, somebody would uh, run the stop sign or, you know, nearly hit me in a crosswalk. And instead of turning around and screaming and yelling at them, I would try to stop myself when I wanted to do that. So I was acting as if I didn't have the urge to turn around and admonish somebody or scream and yell at somebody for nearly hitting me in the crosswalk for having that justifiable anger. Well, or maybe unjustified. I don't know. I felt like if I was about to get killed, it was justified. But anyway, so um, what I had to do was act as if that didn't bother me. And that is acting as if when you want, when you've got a, a you know, a, a character defect, you know, affects you through your day or affects other people. The idea is to slowly but surely try to act as if that is something that doesn't bother you. That's not a trigger for you. Um, act as if this, you know, the way this person talks to you doesn't bother you. And then at some point it will be true. At some point you will get past this. Now, I can't tell you that I'm, I'm a hundred percent, um, all the time on the crosswalk thing, but I am so much better than I was. And I enjoy that time, that whole hour that I get to go out there and run or walk or whatever, because I'm not focused on what Billy Bob and his truck just did to me or my perception of what Billy Bob just did to me at the crosswalk. I'm enjoying the time that I have. And then and living in that moment instead of being worried about that. So that's kind of the example of acting as if that I use. Does that help? Yes. No, I, I love it so much. It's so good. <laughs> um, I kind of cut you off, I think. Is there anything that you want to add on to the, because um, we also did get to just talk about six and seven for a little bit. Did, is there anything you want to add on the topic of service work or working with others or sponsorship? Before I ask sure. you the wrap up question. Um, yeah. So I guess I would say, um, you know, I quit raising my hand after I started working with both of those people. And for me right now, that this is the right amount. I have a great relationship with them. We're still, I'm still in the steps with one of them. And the other person and I still meet on a weekly basis and are reading a different book together, you know. So um, for me, this is, this is the right balance and to spend, to give them the energy that I 
you know, that they want and that they're asking for, this is the right balance for me. For some people, they can take on a bunch of others. But, you know, when we were at uh, trauma camp <laughs> on site, that's what we called it. That's not what it's called, just so everybody knows. That was our, that was our loving name for it. But, um, you know, there was a person there who was really new to sobriety and was struggling. And um, I could tell that she was, I could tell that she wanted it she didn't really know what to do and she didn't relate well to the people that she'd met so far in the program and she didn't live anywhere near me. So, um, we were getting coffee one morning and I asked her, you know, and I don't normally ask people if they want me to sponsor them. You know, I feel like they should kind of come to you because they see something that they want in you. But I said, do you want a temporary sponsor until you find the right person near you? And she was like, I was going to ask you if you would do that. And so um, even though I didn't think I had time to do this with another person, the time made itself available. I sponsored her until uh, last month and she moved um, to a new place that has a really great AA program that she is loving. Um, we talk, we still talk all the time, but she found a sponsor there that she is working with. So we got through a couple of the steps and she's moved on to work with this other person and she's, I'm really happy for her. She's doing great. So oh my God, it's, I was going to ask you about our friend and to see like, if you continued working with her, mm-hmm. whenever you left. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. For the record, if there's anybody listening here who's like, Ashley, all three people, she's like at 100%, three for three. Yeah. Women, so That's not usually what happens. Well, <laughs> and I have had two other people that um, I worked with at, at one point that, you know, went back out. So it's not, I'm, I don't have a hundred percent record. Those were just, um, <laughs> I've also got lucky with some pretty awesome people too. So yeah, no, it's fantastic. Uh, that makes me so happy for her. I, that, that's one of the things whenever I talk about like seeing like kindness and in Ashley's heart and action, that was one of the things that I got to, to see because I shared a room with her. I got to really see how much she cared for this other person. And it was very inspiring to me. I get so inspired whenever I see just people who have such such big hearts and care for others. And I just saw that so much in you. Um, well, thank you. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe someday you, me and Jessica will be able to reunite, you know? Um, Yeah. It'd be fun. But sounds like I need to, I need to come to Texas and visit. (laughs) I know Well, that's where we are. Yeah, I know. (laughs) But Alabama would be fun too. Um, okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning on your, you know, I know you're at work and you have a high demanding job and you had to, you know, get a conference room and all this stuff to be here. Um, so I just really appreciate it for our listeners. If you've heard anything that you love or resonates with you, please screenshot this, upload it to your Instagram story. Let us know what you took away and tag the Magdalene house. We would love to hear you. Other thing is if you have loved this, and you want it to help other alcoholic women, please share with a friend and leave a review. The reviews really do help us reach more alcoholic women, which is what we're intentionally trying to do here. So Ashley, my wrap up question for you is if you could leave us with one takeaway 
um, what would that, like if all of this podcast is going to be erased and people can only hear this one particular thing, what would be the one thing you would want to leave us with? I would definitely say, I mean, I know this sounds, this is always said and it, you know, especially when you're new in the program, you think it sounds cliche, but um, don't quit before the magic happens. Stay with it. It is a whole new and beautiful life. If you stick with the program and surround yourself with um, people in the program um, that are strong in their program as well. So the magic will happen if you want it. Mm-hmm. And that totally, I know is something that you do is you definitely surround yourself with other women in the program for sure. Um, well, I love you so much. <laughs> thank you for being here with me this morning. It was oh, so yeah. good to see you. Oh, so. thank you guys. I, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, if anybody wants to reach out at any point, Stephanie, feel free to, you know, give my information. I always love to build my A network. So, mm-hmm. um, so, and yeah. it's good to know we have a friend in Alabama too. So, uh, and Atlanta. If anybody's I'm in Atlanta now, yeah. <laughs> oh, Atlanta, Alabama, Atlanta. They sound similar. Okay. So, if anybody is listening who's in Atlanta and is new, reach out and we'll get you connected with Ashley. So, all right. Bye. All right. Bye, guys. Thank you Bye. so much. This podcast is from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a nonprofit organization located in Dallas, Texas, and we provide comprehensive recovery services to alcoholic women at absolutely no cost. You can learn more and support our mission at magdalenehouse.org.